the Bible seems to indicate that as we get closer to the end of time, that the perilous times, the dangerous times that we live in are not going to get better, but they're going to get infinitely worse. Preaching the old time gospel with a fresh anointing to a new generation. This is Saved to the Uttermost with evangelist Brian Tyndall. Does it seem like the world is just falling apart? Do you find yourself asking, what in the world's going on? Ever wonder what's going to happen and what you should do to be ready? Well, today, Brian Tyndall shows us that there are people, witnesses, that saw it coming and who point us to the solution. We'll be in John chapter 5, beginning at verse 31. So grab your Bible and turn there now, John 5, 31, for a message entitled, Powerful Witnesses for Perilous Times. Here's Brian. The title of the message today is Powerful Witnesses for Perilous Times. And we do need powerful witnesses when we're in perilous times. And I believe that we are. I believe that the day in which we live today is a perilous time. I think it's perilous in many ways. If you want to think about it economically, if you look at what's going on in the world economically, if you look at what's going on in the United States, uh, we're almost $20 trillion in debt as a country. And uh, we can't keep living like that. Things can't keep moving forward, and our economy can't keep being strong uh, as we would want it to be so our families can have jobs if things keep going like they're going. I truly believe that these are perilous times economically. But we also are facing uh, perilous times from a moral and ethical uh, point of view. Uh, when we look at the decay that's going on in our society when we look at the things that are being accepted in the world today and in our American culture today, when we look at the fact that we've legalized gay marriage, that no longer are we standing and, and basing our lives and our families on the, the grounded word of God that says that a marriage is between one man and one woman that God has brought together and that they're to live their lives together until death do us part. And our country and our culture has abandoned the word of God and we've done irreparable damage to the fabric of the family in the United States by accepting something that is as ungodly as homosexual marriage. But we've accepted many other things. We've accepted all, also things like abortion. Uh, you have people that'll go out and they'll stand and they'll protest and they'll march against endangered species and trying to save endangered animals and trying to build preserves so that endangered animals can uh, have offspring and, and repopulate. And, and those same people will go out and protest and fight for the right for a woman to kill her unborn child. And in fact, our nation uh, has made it legal for women to go and to seek an abortion and to kill their unborn children. And they've done that to uh, many million, many tens of millions of children in our own country have been aborted in the womb. And so we, we see that our country's in peril. It's in peril economically. It's in peril from our values, from our ethics, from our morals. I guess the thing that we see today as we look on the television, we think, well, it's in peril from terrorism. And that's true. I mean, that's, that's the most pressing thing maybe that we see on the nightly news or if we pick a, 
newspaper up in the morning. And indeed, that is uh, one of the perils of our world today, terrorism and just evil and and people that are wanting to kill and to harm and to destroy. And we see that happening all over the world, not just in the Middle East, not just in parts of the world that maybe most of us have never been to, but now we see it right on the shores of America. We uh, can't go hardly a week without seeing a mass shooting uh, in a public place, in a school. And oftentimes those shootings, those terrorisms are linked to religions. They're linked to uh, people hating Christianity, people hating Christ, people hating the church of Jesus Christ, people hating Christians. Uh, many, many times those things are linked together. And so our world is in peril in many different ways. But personally, I believe that the greatest way that our world is in peril today is from a spiritual perspective. As we look at the seven billion people on this planet today, the vast majority of those people are not believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many millions and billions of those people have uh, received false witnesses. They are following false gods and false traditions and false religions and false prophets, and they are being led in the wrong way spiritually. And not only do we see billions of people that are following the wrong God, not the true God, the Lord Jesus Christ, but increasingly we see uh, just that people are living in a spiritual vacuum, especially here in our own country, where they say, well, I'm not anything. I don't believe anything spiritually. I don't believe anything. I, I, I don't believe in any any God, and, and they're atheists, and they're humanistic, and they're materialistic, and increasingly narcissistic. They're lovers of themselves and of pleasure rather than lovers of the one true God. And so, my friend, our country, our nation, our world is in peril today. And I don't see how anybody could question that. Maybe we would disagree on this topic or that topic, but how could any of us look at the news at night? How could any of us look at what's going on at large in the world today and at least from one perspective or another not agree that our world is in danger, that our world is in chaos? And what I would want to suggest to you today from the Word of God is that in the midst of very dangerous times, in the midst of a, a time when there's great peril all around us in the world and around our families, our children, our grandchildren, at that moment, we need powerful witnesses because the devil's always there. He's there, and the Bible says that he's a liar and that he's the father of lies, and he's always there trying to get us to believe a lie, and he's always there speaking into our ear and using ungodly people and humanistic people and non-spiritual people. He's using them in the media. He's using them in higher education. He's using them in Hollywood. He's using them through the music industry. He's using them through the political offices, people that are not spiritual people that do not have a relationship with the one true God, and yet the devil is in control of their life. They are puppet masters, and, and the devil is working through them, and he's spreading lies through them. And if we're not careful, the Bible says that as times get worse and worse, as the danger grows worse and worse, as the peril that we live in grows worse and worse, the Bible says that it's going to get so bad that, that it would be possible that even the elect of God, even the faithful followers of God would be drawn away by a lie. 
And so in these perilous times that we live in, it's not money that's going to save us. It's not education that's going to save us. It's not our government that's going to save us. It's not the Democratic or Republican Party that's going to save us. It's not uh, getting a better job or more education. None of those things are inherently bad, but none of those things are going to save us from the perilous times that we're in. And yet many of us are concerned. We're concerned for ourselves. We're concerned for our families, our children and our grandchildren, our posterity. We're concerned for the future. And as we look and as we're concerned and as we're thinking to ourselves, how do we move forward? How are we going to make it? How are we going to overcome? How are we going to live a joyful, happy, victorious life as we move forward in an increasingly dangerous, perilous time? And I believe the Bible has an answer. In John chapter 5, beginning in verse 31, Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking about witnesses. And I I want you to listen to what Jesus says, and then I want us to, to concentrate and look at it in some detail about these witnesses, because I believe that in perilous days, what we need more than we need anything else is powerful witnesses. And my friends, we have powerful witnesses if we will just open our spiritual ears and if we will open our eyes and if we will open our minds, God's word will speak to us. That still small voice of the Holy Spirit, that conscience that God has put inside of us will speak to us. And I believe that he can do that even through the precious word of God. Listen to what Jesus says about these powerful witnesses that can be a great blessing to us in these perilous days that we live. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 31, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another, Jesus said, who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, that's John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from a man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He, that is John the Baptist, was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come, Jesus said, in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only true God? Do not think that I come, Jesus said, to accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, and it's Moses in whom you trust. For if you believed in Moses, you would believe in me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Now, in this passage of Scripture, Jesus is criticizing uh, the Jews because they have not believed in him. They've not put their faith in him. 
even though he was the promised Messiah, even though uh, he came to the Jewish people. The Bible says he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. And he's, he's challenging them and he's criticizing them because he's saying to them, God has given you all of these great powerful witnesses to show you the truth, to show you the Son of God, to show you the Messiah, the Savior of the world. God's given you all of these powerful witnesses to open your eyes to the truth so that you can see the truth and believe the truth and be changed and be saved by the truth. And listen, those people were living in dangerous times too. It's not just the generation that we live in that is living in perilous times. The world has been living in dangerous times almost since the very beginning of time. Now, in many ways, things have gotten worse, and they're probably going to continue to get worse in many ways, even though that's not what we want and it's not what we wish for. The Bible seems to indicate that as we get closer to the end of time, that the perilous times, the dangerous times that we live in are not going to get better, but they're going to get infinitely worse. But that's not the end of the message. If that was the end of the message, it would be a message without hope. It would be a message of doom. But the Bible says that as we move further and further down the road in a society, in a culture, in a world that is dangerous, that is perilous, that is, that is moving further and further away from God and further away from the truth and getting closer every day to doom and destruction. The Bible gives us great hope. And that great hope is in Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. The hope that we have today in this world, the hope that you have, the hope that your family has, the hope that your children and grandchildren have, it's not in the things of this world. It's not in the materialism of, of this world. It's not in the humanistic material things of this world. The Bible says that the hope that we have in these perilous days is Jesus Christ. The fact that 2,000 years ago, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that Jesus became man, that he came to this earth and he was God with us, Emmanuel, God in the flesh. He was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life on this earth and that he went to the cross willingly and gave his life as a substitutionary atonement for the sins of the world. And he shed his blood and he died for the sins of humanity. That's the hope that we have. The hope that Jesus died for us so we don't have to die. He paid the penalty for our sin so we would not have to pay the penalty for our sin. And the hope that we have in Jesus is that the one that died on the cross for us did not stay dead. But the Bible bears witness of this Jesus that three days after he was put in the tomb that he rose victorious over death, hell, and the grave. That he came back to life and that he is alive and that he has ascended back to the Father and that he's seated at the right hand of God, given all power and authority, and he is in control of this world today. And he's in control of our lives and he's in control of the future. And in these dangerous, perilous days that we live in, and when it seems like everything in everybody 
in many ways are out of control. The Bible gives us an assurance that things are not totally out of control, that there's one that holds this world in the palm of his hand, that there's one that holds the future and our destiny in the palm of his hand, that there's one that has the power to give us life, even though we have made death out of our lives, that there's one that has the power to give us forgiveness, that there's one that has the power to restore us to that place that we've fallen from and give us hope and eternal life in our future. And these witnesses that we have, one of these witnesses is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. That's what it says in John chapter 5, verse 31. Jesus said, if I bear witness of myself, and he does bear witness of himself. Now, I know that we live in a world today where most people do not believe in Jesus Christ. Or even if they believe that he is a real historical figure, they don't believe that he really is God. They don't believe that he's divine. They don't believe that he's the savior of the world. They don't believe that he's coming back to this earth the majority of people do not believe in Jesus Christ. But Jesus, in the word of God, bore witness of himself. He's one of these powerful witnesses that we can look to. In Matthew chapter 26 and verses 63 through 65, Jesus was brought before the high priest after he was arrested, and he was put under oath and asked the question, Are you the son of God? And in three of the gospels, we have recorded this event, this historical event of Jesus being brought before the high priest and asked specifically if he was God. And Jesus answered in Matthew chapters 26, it is as you said. In other words, Jesus affirms to the high priest, yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am God. Yes, I am the Savior of the world. It is exactly as you have said. In John chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, Jesus tells the woman at the well that he had approached to draw some water for him. Uh, as they begin to carry on a conversation in John chapter 4, the woman at the well brings up the promised and expected Messiah, the Savior of the world that's going to come, that had been promised in the Old Testament. And as Jesus is talking to this woman, when she brings up the Messiah, Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus tells the woman at the well, you're speaking about the promised Messiah. And what I want you to know, what I want you to understand is that I am the promised Messiah. In John chapter 10, verses 30 through 33, Jesus tells the Jews, I and my Father are one. And in the context of those scriptures, who he's speaking of is God the Father. And Jesus tells the Jews, I and God the Father are one. We are the same. There's no difference between me and God. When you've seen him, you've seen me. And when you've seen me, you've seen God. And and so we know that that's what he was saying. Uh, in verse 33, the Jews try to stone Jesus. And Jesus asked them, for what crime are you stoning me? For what evil thing ha- you know, are you stoning me? Uh, for what good work are you stoning me? And the Jews say to Jesus, it's not for the things that you've done that we're stoning you. But they tell him explicitly in John chapter 10, verse 33, it's because you, Jesus, being a man, have made yourself out to be God. That's why we're stoning you. That's why we're going to execute you, because you have witnessed of yourself. You have claimed of yourself 
that you are God in the flesh. And indeed, Jesus is God in the flesh. And the Bible is full of verses and passages that teach that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He is God in the flesh, that He is the Messiah, that He is the only Savior of the world. That's what it says in the book of Acts, that there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved, just Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus is speaking to one of his disciples, Thomas, and Thomas was known as the doubting disciple. And there's a lot of people today, they're doubting. Uh, even people in the church, even ministers of the gospel, they've begun to doubt because in this evil society and world that we live in that's so full of lies about God and about his word and about his church and about his people, many have begun to doubt like Thomas the disciple. And basically what Thomas, Jesus' disciple, said was, Jesus, how can we be sure? How do we know the way to heaven? How can we be sure of the way to heaven? How can we be sure of the way to eternal life? Or if there is a way to heaven? And Jesus responded to Thomas, the doubter, in John chapter 14, verse 6. And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But in John chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus also said this. He said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, Jesus did bear witness himself that he was God, that he was the Savior of the world. But what Jesus admits in John chapter 5, verse 31, is that if the only witness that there is is his own, then that's not sufficient. And, and we know that to be true. I mean, if I was convicted or, or brought up on charges as, as having committed a crime, or if the police brought charges up against you for committing a crime, and if we were brought before a judge, uh, the judge is going to ask us, how do you plead? Are you innocent or are you guilty? And if we witnessed of ourselves, judge, I'm, I'm innocent. I've not done anything. I've not committed a crime. Uh, you need to let me go. Uh, you don't need to hold me on these charges because I'm telling you I am innocent. I've done nothing. Just our own testimony, if there's no other testimony, if there's no other witness, if there's no other evidence, then our witness is basically going to be worthless. And even Jesus says here in John chapter 5, verse 31, if I am the only one that witnesses of myself, then my witness is basically no good. But what Jesus goes on to say is this, I'm not the only one that witnesses of myself. He's saying there are other powerful witnesses that we can look to, that we can believe in. There are other powerful witnesses that we can put our confidence in and, and see that Jesus is exactly who he claimed to be. And in this perilous, dangerous world that we live in, we can have hope. We can have assurance that there's someone that we can put our hope in. There's someone we can put our faith and trust in. There's someone that we can build our lives and our marriages and our families on that will last not only through this life, but into the next life. We can build our lives on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And we know that not only because he witnessed of himself, but because 
we have other powerful witnesses as well. And the next witness that Jesus mentions is in John chapter 5, verses 33 through 35. And the first one that he mentions is the witness of John the Baptist. It says in verse 33, Jesus said, you have sent to John the Baptist and he has borne witness to the truth. Uh, who was John the Baptist? John the Baptist was a very important person in history. John the Baptist was born uh, some months before Jesus. And just like Jesus experienced uh, a miraculous birth in many ways, John the Baptist experienced a miraculous birth. Just like angels came and announced that Jesus was going to be born of the Virgin Mary, uh, the angel Gabriel also came to the parents of John the Baptist and told them that they could expect a son as well. And he gave uh, very specific information about this child that was going to be born. Uh, not only was his name going to be John, but he was going to be born for a very specific purpose. He was going to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. God was going to uniquely, supernaturally gift John the Baptist from birth with the ability to know, to recognize, and to proclaim the Messiah to the rest of the world. And so when John encountered the Messiah, he was going to know that it was the Messiah. He was going to be out there even before the Messiah was announced. He was going to be out there proclaiming that the Messiah was coming to the world. And then when the Messiah did come, he was the one that was going to recognize and point out the Messiah to the rest of the world. And God had uniquely created John the Baptist in the womb to do that. And you might remember the story that when Mary uh, went to John the Baptist's mother while she was pregnant, when she went to her and she announced that she was going to give birth to Jesus, John the Baptist was in the womb, and the scripture says that when Mary came and made that announcement that John the Baptist leapt in the womb. He, he was leaping in the womb. Now, what was happening there was not just uh, what happens as normal children in the womb. They will move around some or kick or whatever. What, what happened there was a supernatural response from a person that had been created by God to recognize the Messiah. And even in the womb of his mother, when John the Baptist heard about Jesus, he was leaping within the womb in recognition that this one that was being spoken of, this Jesus, that he was indeed the Messiah. And after John the Baptist was born, he became a very powerful and prominent person in the society in which he lived. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, verse 5, that John the Baptist was out there preaching and proclaiming about this Messiah. And it says in Matthew 3, 5, that Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to John the Baptist and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, they were all going out there to see this man, John the Baptist. He was a very prominent, powerful person that had been uniquely ordained and created and appointed and called by God to know and to prepare the way for and to see and acknowledge the Messiah. And in fact, John did that. The Bible says that when John was with his disciples and Jesus came walking up 
And when John the Baptist saw Jesus from a distance, he began to point to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Now, that sounds like to me, that's a powerful witness. When we know that there's a historical figure that was born and we have as much evidence about his birth as we do the birth of Jesus, and we know that just like Jesus's birth was announced by angels, so was John the Baptist. And we know that just like Jesus was born with a very specific purpose, so was John the Baptist. In fact, Jesus himself in his ministry said this about John the Baptist. Jesus said, there is no greater man that has ever been born of a woman that is greater than John the Baptist. Jesus Christ himself that said that John the Baptist was the greatest man that had ever been born of woman. And so this is not just any man. This is not just any witness. This is not just any person that we're hearing, proclaiming, and being a witness that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus Christ is God, and that he's the Savior of the world. This is a man that was uniquely created by God for the purpose of knowing and recognizing and preparing the way for and acknowledging the Messiah when he came into the world. And John the Baptist said, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh. He is the one that has come to be the Savior of the world. And so that is a very powerful witness. But not only do we have the witness of Jesus, and not only do we have the witness of John the Baptist, we have the witness of God himself. We have the witness of God the Father. And Jesus talks about that witness in John chapter 5, verses 37 and 38. Jesus said, And the Father himself, God the Father, who sent me, has testified of me, you have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. And so what Jesus is saying is, I'm not just saying that I'm God. It's not just me saying myself that I'm God. It's not just this great man, John the Baptist, that's saying that I'm God this witnessing of the truth that I'm God, but God the Father himself has witnessed that I am God. When Jesus was being baptized in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says that Jesus went down into the water of the Jordan River to be baptized by John the Baptist. And the scripture says that when Jesus came up out of the water, the Spirit of God was descending like a dove upon him. And then the scripture says in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, that a voice came out of heaven saying about Jesus, the one that was being baptized, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And a great multitude of people were there at the historical baptism of Jesus and they not only saw John literally baptizing Jesus in water, they heard the voice of God himself speaking down and saying, this is my beloved son. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9 and verse 35 
uh, we know this as the Mount of Transfiguration. It's when Peter, James, and John, the three disciples that were in the inner circle of Jesus, the closest disciples of Jesus, they're led up onto the Mount. And uh, as they're there, the scripture says that a cloud came down and overshadowed them. And in Luke chapter 9, verse 35, it says, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This, speaking of Jesus, is my beloved son. Hear him. But you know, this is the reality. Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 32, what we just read, There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. And that's God the Father. The Father God, the Creator God, He Himself has witnessed, has affirmed that Jesus Christ is God, that Jesus Christ is divine, that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Now that is a powerful, powerful witness. It's not just that Jesus Himself said that He was God. It's not just that the uh, miraculously born John the Baptist, who was uniquely gifted and called by God to recognize the Messiah, it's not just that John the Baptist pointed to Jesus and said that he's God. God the Father himself, God the Father that sent the Son into the world, spoke on more than one occasion audibly from heaven when hundreds and thousands of people were there on the ground to hear it and said, Jesus is my son. That is a powerful, powerful witness. But not only do we have that witness, uh, we also have the witness of the works and the miracles of Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 36, the scripture says, But I have a greater witness, Jesus said, than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. What Jesus was saying was this. You you don't have to just take my word for it. You don't have to just believe what I'm saying. You don't just have to believe the verbal witness that I've given to you in speech that I am the Messiah, that I am God, that I am the Savior of the world. You can look at the works that I've done. You can look at the miraculous things that I've done in the presence of hundreds and thousands of people on multiple occasions. And those works, those miracles, those miraculous signs are a powerful witness that I am who I claim to be. And in fact, in the Gospel of John, there are seven miracles that are highlighted in the Gospel of John that Jesus performed. And John doesn't call these uh, things miracles. Uh, he calls them signs. And the reason that John, the Gospel writer John, calls these miracles signs is John saying that the reason Jesus performed these miracles, these mighty acts of God, these things that he did that were not possible for anyone to do except God himself, There's no way that any natural person, any human person could have accomplished these things. It it was something that was supernatural and could have only been done by God himself. And John says these signs that Jesus did uh, in front of many people point to the fact they are signs, they are witnesses that Jesus Christ is God and that he's the Savior of the world. And very quickly, the seven signs 
or in John chapter 2, that's the first one. Uh, the changing of the water and the wine, that's the very first miracle, the very first sign that Jesus gave in his earthly ministry. And if you want to know how powerful these signs were, uh, and if you want to know how important these miracles were to people believing that Jesus really was God and that he really was the Savior of the world, it says in John chapter 2, verse 11, after Jesus had turned the water into wine, the scripture says this, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him. They wanted to believe in him based on what he had said. They wanted to believe in him based on what they had heard. And they had followed Jesus and they were there uh, and they were wanting to learn and wanting to discover, is this really the Messiah? Is, is he really the one? But it says that when they saw the miracle, when they saw Jesus performing supernatural acts that only God could do, when they saw this sign, then they believed in him. And my friends, that's what you need to do today. That's what we all need to do. In these perilous, dangerous times that we live in, when the devil is working in our world and through so many people in our world, he's working to destroy our economy. He's working to destroy our morals. He's working to destroy our ethics. He's working to destroy our society. He's working to destroy our political and education and judicial system. He's working to terrorize and to kill and steal and destroy. He's working to destroy our families and our marriages and our children. But in the midst of all that he's doing, we have hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. And we need to allow the witness of Jesus Christ we need to allow the witness of John the Baptist. We need to allow the witness of God the Father. And we need to allow the witness of the historical miracles of Jesus Christ to speak to our heart and convince us, just like the disciples of Jesus were convinced, that he really is who he claimed to be. And in John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54, he healed the royal official son in Capernaum. In John 5, 1 through 18, he healed the paralytic at the Bethesda pool. In John 6, 5 through 14, he fed the 5,000. In John chapter 6, verses 16 through 24, Jesus walked on the water. In John chapter 9, verses 1 through 7, he healed a man born blind from birth. In John 11, 1 through 46, he raised a dead man named Lazarus from the grave. Now, my friends, I want to tell you, it does not matter what Jesus said about himself. As he said here in this own passage of Scripture, in the very first verse that we looked at, Jesus said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. And indeed, that's correct. If there's no other witness, if there's no other proof that Jesus is God and that he's the Savior of the world, other than what he said about himself, then his witness is not true. But that's not the only witness that we have. We have the witness of Christ. We have the witness of John the Baptist. We have the witness of God the Father. We have the witness of the miracles of Jesus. And I want you to just think about this. The very last sign that John talks about in John 11 is when Jesus found out about his friend Lazarus. He was friend with uh, Lazarus and Lazarus' sisters. And Lazarus' sisters sent word to Jesus when he was sick. 
and said, please come quickly uh, because Lazarus is sick and he's sick to the point of death. But they knew that if Jesus would get there in time, that Jesus had the power that he could miraculously heal his friend Lazarus. But Jesus intentionally tarried and he got there late. And Lazarus had not only died and been buried, but he had been in the tomb and his body had been decaying for four days. And in John chapter 11, Jesus goes to the graveyard. He goes to the tomb of his dead friend, Lazarus. And while multitudes of people are standing around watching him and looking at this uh, tomb where Lazarus is buried and where his dead body is decaying, uh, they roll back the stone. And Jesus simply speaks the words, Lazarus, come forth. And these people witness this dead man, Lazarus, who's been in the tomb for four days. They witness this man who they knew had died, who they had been at his funeral, who they, they knew the reality of his death. They watched that man walk out of that tomb alive. Now, my friends, those people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They had heard him say that he was the Messiah. They had heard other people say that he may be the Messiah. But my friends, when they saw this powerful sign, when they saw the historical miracles of Jesus, there was no doubt left in their mind. It was such a powerful witness to the truth that they could not help but believe. And my friends, we have those very same signs recorded for us in the Word of God. All we have to do is open our spiritual eyes and open our spiritual ears and hear and receive and believe. And then finally, the Bible says there's another witness, and it's the witness of the Bible itself. It's the witness of Scripture itself. And Jesus talks about that in John chapter 5, verses 39 through 47. Jesus said in verse 39, You search the Scripture, speaking to the Jews, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. What Jesus was saying to them is uh, the Jews believed in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the law, in the Torah. Uh, many of them had memorized it word for word, and most of them were seeking to live their lives by it. And they believed that by knowing the law and by memorizing the law and by believing the law and by seeking to live their lives obediently to the law, that they would be made right with God and that they would have eternal life through the law, through the scriptures. And what Jesus was saying to them is, the scripture has been given to you and it's been given to us. It's been preserved for us by the Holy Spirit of God in the Bible. But those Jewish people that Jesus was speaking to, they had put their confidence in the scripture itself. They had put their confidence in the law itself. They had put their confidence in their religion itself. They had put their confidence in their own ability to keep the law and do the good works of the Bible. And what Jesus was saying to them is, that's not how you're saved. The scriptures do not teach you that you're saved by keeping the law. The scriptures actually speak, Jesus said, about me. And, and you have to remember that when Jesus is speaking to these people in John chapter 5 about the scriptures, 
he's talking about the Old Testament, and he's talking primarily about the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law. And he brings up Moses, which is the writer, the author of the first five books of the Bible. And interestingly enough, Jesus says to these people, Moses wrote about me. That's what he said there. We read it. Moses wrote about me, Jesus said. And so when we read not just the New Testament, but even when we read the Old Testament, when we read anything in the Bible, everything in the Bible is there to point us to Jesus Christ. Everything in the Bible is there to show us that God has prepared a way for us to be saved from our sins through his son, Jesus Christ. Every single thing in the Bible is there to be a witness about Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that Moses, even in the Old Testament, even in the first five books of the Bible, wrote about him. And in fact, he did. In Genesis 3.15, Jesus is the promised seed of the woman that would bruise the serpent's head. In Exodus 12, 1 through 28, Jesus is the Passover lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. In, in Numbers 24, 17, Jesus is the star out of Jacob and the scepter that would rise out of Israel. In Deuteronomy 18, Jesus is the great prophet that God would raise up to speak in his name, and whoever would not listen to him would be judged by God. In fact, there are over 100 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament alone that are fulfilled only in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible proclaims from Genesis to Revelation and in every book and in every chapter and in every verse in between that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, that he's God in the flesh and that he's the only Savior that we have to look to. My friend, today, we live in some of the most perilous times that have ever been lived in in the history of the world. And I, I can tell you today, while I don't want to be negative, uh, I have no desire to be negative, but I do want to be realistic. And if we look at what's going on around us today, and we look realistically at the world and society that we live in, we will know that we're living in dangerous and perilous times. And we need to consider that. We don't need to just turn away from that. We don't need to just stick our head in the sand and pretend that it's not true. We don't need to just allow the devil to speak a lie to us and, and get us focused on, you know, the things of this world and convince us, well, if, if I just get more education, everything's going to be all right. If I can just get a better job, everything's going to be all right. You know, if I can just get married, everything's going to be all right. If I can just have a family, everything's going to be all right. If I can just get a house, a car, if I can just have material things and pay my bills, my friend, the devil will speak those lies to you in every way that he conceivably can. And the reason he's going to speak those lies is because he wants us in these disastrous days, in these difficult days that we live in, he wants us to put our confidence in anything other than Jesus Christ. 
He doesn't care if we turn to alcohol. He doesn't care if we turn to drugs. He doesn't care if we turn to sexual sin. He doesn't care if we turn to crime. He doesn't care if we turn to money, popularity, social media, political correctness, education. He doesn't care where we turn. He doesn't care what we build our lives on as long as we don't turn to Jesus Christ and as long as we don't build our lives on Jesus Christ. The devil's going to be perfectly happy because he knows that we're going to end in disaster. But my friends, there's good news today. In the midst of these very difficult days, these very dangerous and perilous times that we live in, when the economy's shaky and the stock market could collapse at any moment and we could lose our jobs at any time, uh, in these difficult times when the morals and ethics of our society continue to slide further and further down into a cesspool. My friends, as, as we turn on the TV every night and we hear more of terrorism going on in the world and the hatred that's out there and the evil that exists in our world that is seeking to kill people all over our planet, my friends, I can tell you that in the midst of a world like that, that you are trying to live in, that you're trying to raise your children in, that you're looking into this world and into this future, and you're thinking to yourself, how are we going to make it in the future? How are my children going to make it in the future? What is going to be there for my grandchildren? My friends, in this world, there is hope, tremendous hope. The Bible says that not only can we endure this world, the Bible says God has made a way for us to have life and for us to have a life more abundantly in the world that we live in. So God has given us a way not only to have life, but to have abundant life in the midst of these perilous times that we live. And he's made a way for us to have eternal life when we die. And that's through his son, Jesus Christ. Would you receive that powerful witness today? Would you believe Jesus when he witnesses of himself and says that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, that I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way to God except through me? And would you put your faith in Jesus Christ today and in Christ alone? Would you receive the witness of John the Baptist, that great prophet of old, that man that Jesus said there's no greater man ever been born of woman he was anointed of God to know and to proclaim the Messiah. And he pointed to Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Would you put your faith in that witness, in the witness of God himself that shouted and screamed from heaven with a booming voice that Jesus is his beloved son in whom he's well pleased to hear and to listen to Jesus? Would you believe that witness, my friend? Would you accept the witness of the Word of God that from beginning to end, from Genesis to Revelation, proclaims in every book of the Bible that Jesus is the only true God and Savior of this world? Would you humble yourself today and put your faith in Him and in Him alone? If you would do that, my friend, all you'd have to do is just trust Jesus like a child. Just come to him and say, Lord, I live in a very difficult time. I don't have the answers. I've messed up in many ways. Uh, I've rebelled against you in many ways. But Lord, today, 
I'm humbling myself like a little child, and I'm putting my faith in Jesus and in Jesus alone, and I'm trusting that what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago when he sacrificed his body and shed his blood, I'm trusting that he died for me and that he died for my sin. And Lord, I'm trusting that if I'll put my faith in your son, that you will make him my sin and that you will make me the righteousness of Jesus and that you'll cause me to be born again into the family of God. And my friend, just tell him, just confess your sin to him. Just tell him what you've done and ask him to forgive you. And then with his help, turn away from your sin and turn toward Jesus Christ and spend the rest of your life not only believing in him, but following him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And my friend, if you'll do that, I promise you, I promise you based on the authority of the word of God, that even though we live in some of the most dangerous times that have ever been known on this earth, if you'll put your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, I promise you that you'll have an abundant life on this earth through Jesus Christ. And one day when you die physically, you'll have eternal life in heaven through Jesus as well. Would you do that today, my friend? I pray that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. We live in perilous times, but according to many witnesses, there's hope in Jesus. This is Saved to the Uttermost with evangelist Brian Tyndall, founder and president of Uttermost Evangelism. Brian's message today was entitled, Powerful Witnesses for Perilous Times. And if you'd like to listen to it again or pass it on to a friend, you can download it when you visit uttermostevangelism.org. Just click on Sermons. That's uttermostevangelism.org. While you're there, you can request the booklet, Salvation, Man's Greatest Need, God's Greatest Gift. And in it, Brian examines the five aspects of salvation, why all people need to be saved, how God has made our salvation possible, why anyone can be saved, what salvation really is, and how we receive God's gift of salvation. It's a quick and easy read, but the message can change your life forever. And we'd like to send you a copy free. Download it when you visit uttermostevangelism.org or ask us to send you a printed copy. Just contact us when you visit uttermostevangelism.org. If you're unable to access our website, you can write us. Our mailing address is Uttermost Evangelism, P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 38863. That's P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, P-O-N-T-O-T-O-C, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 38863. Or you can call us. Our phone number is 662-372-1912. That's 662-372-1912. Uttermost Evangelism and the Save to the Uttermost program are made possible by the prayers and generous gifts of people just like you. It would not be possible to have a worldwide evangelistic ministry without that support. Uttermost Evangelism exists for no other purpose than to lift up the name of Jesus Christ everywhere that he may be known and glorified by all people. Brian Tyndall is a full-time missionary evangelist bringing the light of the gospel to those in spiritual darkness. Would you prayerfully consider standing with us? You can send a tax-deductible donation to Uttermost Evangelism, P.O. Box 7, Pontotoc, Mississippi, 
888-233-8863 or give online at uttermostevangelism.org. Thanks in advance for your support. And thanks for listening today. Join us again next time. And remember, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those that come to God through him. God bless. Save to the Uttermost is provided by Uttermost Evangelism, Pontotoc, Mississippi.